You're listening to a sermon from River City Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. For more gospel-centered resources and to learn about our church, visit www.rivercitympls.com. Welcome you back to your seats. Feel free to grab a coffee still if you want. Finish the greeting time. Thanks for saying hello, hello to one another and greeting one another. If you have a Bible with you and you want to turn to Luke 11, that's where we'll be this morning, or I still keep saying this morning. We've been in the afternoon for like six months. So that's where we'll be this afternoon, Luke 11. His mercy is more. Yes, thank you. I appreciate the grace. So Luke 11, verses 1 through 13. If you're using one of the hardback black pew Bibles, it's on page 869, Luke 11, 1 through 13. I read this week that two-thirds of Americans report praying at least once per week, which to me was kind of stunning. But when I think about it, it really is in some ways the most common faith practice, sometimes the most natural thing we do. Today's sermon is on prayer. But I also feel like prayer can be one of the most confusing of faith practices that we do together. And in our passage, disciples, they come to Jesus and they make a request to him and they ask him, Lord, teach us to pray. They had observed in Jesus a vibrant prayer life. They had seen that he prayed often, and he had this clear communication with his heavenly Father, and they were not satisfied with their own prayer life. And so they wanted to learn from Jesus. And that, for me, sounds an awful lot like me. Like, when I read the disciples saying, Lord, teach us to pray, I felt a lot like them, wanting to learn from Jesus. And I think that's probably true for many of you here as well. If we want to learn how to do something, then we ask someone who knows how to do it well. Not just, you know, what they've written in a book, but actually someone who we see doing it and they can do it well. So we want to learn from them. And so if you are at times confused about prayer, if you feel like the disciples, if you feel like me in that way as well, then let's ask Jesus together, Lord, teach us to pray. And so we'll read in Luke 11, verses 1 through 13, again, page 869 in one of those pew Bibles, if you have one. I'll read and you can follow along. The words will also appear on the screen behind me. And it says, now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? 
Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you now as your people. We, we recognize the gift that it is to us. And we're coming and asking, God, that you'd help us to see and understand what you have for us in your word. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will last forever. So as we open our Bibles, would you help us? Open our eyes that we might see the wondrous things that are found here in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2015, pastor and author Timothy Keller tweeted this pithy statement the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. We have that kind of access. In this quote, we are the child and God is the king. And we are reminded here that when it comes to prayer, we have unparalleled access to the king of the universe. God is not bothered when we ask him for anything even as simple as a glass of water or as significant as the revival of a city, but he wants us to come and ask. Whether prayers are big or small, God wants us to come with our prayers, with our communication, in intimacy with him. And so here's the message of the sermon for us this afternoon. What I want you to hear in the text that we are reading is to pray with confidence because God the Father delights to meet the needs of his children. Pray with confidence, because God the Father delights to meet the needs of his children. And our outline this afternoon will be fourfold. We have four points this afternoon. The first is the holy intimacy of prayer. The second is the simple model for prayer. Third, the human reality of prayer. And fourth, the humble child in prayer. We'll begin with the holy intimacy of prayer. The disciples here come and ask Jesus how to pray. They want to know how to pray. They have an opportunity to learn from a master prayer here. And so through God's word, we do as well. And so we're curious, like, Jesus, what do you have to say to us when we ask? Teach us to pray. And he begins, when you pray, say. Then he gives what's become known as the Lord's Prayer. People have debated whether or not the Lord's Prayer was given to us so that we could pray it word for word or if it was meant to be a template for us as a model of prayer. And I would say yes to both. I think Jesus wants us to do both. If we don't have the words to pray, then we can pray the words that Jesus gave us. And also, it provides a model for us for how we ought to pray. And he begins with this title of intimacy, Father. Here we see the intimacy of prayer. Someone once asked me with regard to my prayer, when you pray to God, how do you think of him? Is it in an intimate relationship between you and a loving father, or do you feel a need to pretend and perform for God in your prayers? Do you come with raw and honest communication to God, or do you feel like you need to hide parts of yourself when you're praying? And in response to that, I had to take some time to think about that question. And if I'm honest with myself and with you, I too often pretend when I'm praying. Too often I feel this need to perform for God. 
But that is not what Jesus wants for us. It's not what he's telling us here as we think about this title, this first word that Jesus gives us, Father. This was a radical way for people to address God when Jesus gives it. Other religions at this time would have addressed their gods with uncertainty. They would have come with fear. They would have wondered if their gods were mad at them or if they were going to be upset that day. They, they saw their gods as very fickle and frustrated with humanity, never knowing what kind of mood they were going to be in. So their prayers would begin with these long preambles, these long and eloquent titles, and then they'd go on to list all these things that the gods had done, all of which trying to earn favor with God or their gods before they began their prayer. And Jesus gives us this simple title, Father. It's a title of respect, and it's a title of intimacy. Prayer should be like a conversation between a child and their father. Children don't always come in communication knowing how to articulate everything that they need, but they still come. They don't always do it perfectly, but in their father's presence, they don't have a need to perform, they don't have a need to pretend, and so they just come. And this is where prayer begins, like humble children in the presence of our father. The next phrase that Jesus gives is, hallowed be your name. To hallow something is to honor it as holy. And the word holy means something is set apart or something is different. And we see here the holiness of prayer. Prayer is holy intimacy because we're invited into an intimate relationship with a holy God, with a God who is completely different than us. And we have a hard time holding these two ideas in tension. Either in our minds, on the one hand, God is holy, he is high above, he is other, he is distant, or he is inviting us into an intimate relationship with him. So often we believe the lie that it's one or the other, but that it can't be both. But what God wants us to know about him is that it is both. He is both father and he is holy. He is completely holy and he wants to invite us into relationship with him. Now, we can't fully reconcile those two things always, but wisdom is not always in understanding how everything works itself out perfectly. Wisdom is trusting in what God has said is true about himself. And here, Jesus tells us to pray to God as Father, and at the same time, to honor him as holy. And I was convicted of this this summer. I was reading through the Gospels, and I came to the Lord's Prayer. And as I was reading through it, I read these first two lines, Father, hallowed be your name. And I recognize that even in myself, I have a hard time addressing him with both of those titles because I struggle to reconcile those things in my mind. I struggle to have an intimate and transparent relationship with God as Father. No need to perform, no need to pretend, because I'm inclined to believe that I need to somehow get God's approval. But that is not what God is telling us. That is not the reality that Jesus puts before us. God desires intimacy with us. And here's the reality. The lie that God doesn't want to have intimate relationship with me doesn't then lead me to hallow his name. It actually leads me to avoid him because I'm afraid of his disapproval. I mean, if we think about this, a holy God who disapproves of us is a scary thing. But a holy God who loves us without condition, this is the best thing in the world. And that is what Jesus invites us into. Every time we begin to pray, Father, hallowed be your name. In this opening line, we see the holy intimacy of prayer. 
J.I. Packer wrote a little book on the Lord's Prayer. It is mercifully short. It is also massively helpful. It's on the list of resources that you, you can get in the back. And in the opening pages of the book, he wrote this about prayer. People feel a problem about prayer because of the muddle they are in about God. If you are uncertain whether God exists or whether he is personal or good or in control of all things or concerned about ordinary folk like you and me, you are bound to conclude that praying is pretty pointless, not to say trivial, and then you won't do it. In the opening words of the Lord's Prayer, we are, we are reminding ourselves that God is, in fact, personal. He is good. He is in control. He does care, and he is capable of doing what is needed in the world. The holy intimacy of this first line becomes the fuel for our prayer. And now we'll move on to the simple model for prayer. The rest of the Lord's Prayer, then, we see in the context of this holy intimacy. And as I said earlier, you can just read the words and pray them as Jesus has given them, or it can become a model for prayer. And here I see seven elements to the Lord's Prayer that can guide our prayers. And I find them very helpful. I actually have been praying through them even this week in preparation. And so the first is intimacy. We've talked about this, the title Father. We can begin with the title of intimacy, not because it makes our prayer supercharged if we use the right title for God, but because it reminds us that we are praying to a God who wants us to come to him, who delights to answer our prayers and hear from us, his children. Second, adoration. Hallowed be your name. We honor God's name as holy in our prayers. We praise him for his character, for who he is. And there is a limitless amount of reasons that we can praise him. There are a limitless number of characteristics about God that we can adore. Just think about the amazing qualities of who he is and take some time to adore him, to praise him, to honor him. You don't need to make things up. That's not what this is about. This is just acknowledging what is true. And that does something inside of us when we adore a holy God for who he is. Third is submission. We say, your kingdom come. And I called this submission because this is a request that if we want God's kingdom to come, we must submit to God's kingdom. Because when our desires rub up against God's kingdom priorities, then we die to ourselves and we choose the way of Jesus. So in our prayers, when we ask for God's kingdom to come, we are submitting, not my will, but yours be done, O God. We want our hearts to line up with God's kingdom priorities. And if we're honest, our hearts do not always line up with God's heart for the world. So this is a prayer request that God would bring his kingdom. It's also an alignment tool for us. God, bring your kingdom here and help my heart line up with it more and more. Fourth is a prayer of provision. This simple request, give us each day our daily bread. This is a simple prayer that God would provide for our needs. Not more than we need, just simply what we need. And in our land of abundance, we can forget this because we're not often content with just what we need. But this prayer reminds us that God provides what we need and we can, be, we can trust that he's given us everything that we do need. Fifth is confession. We ask God to forgive us of our sins. The reality is, is we are sinners, all of us. I'm not free of sin, and none of you are free of sin. Confession is a way for us to acknowledge that, to acknowledge our idols, to acknowledge the ways that we've rebelled against God and his kingdom, and then to ask for forgiveness, coming with confidence that through Jesus, God will grant that forgiveness. 
we can have confidence and humility to confess because we've already acknowledged that God is Father and that God is holy. Sixth is intercession. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. There is a link between someone who has experienced the grace and the forgiveness of God. When we have encountered the grace of God that, that is infinitely wide and infinitely great, far more than we could ever imagine, we then are more inclined to extend that to others. Jesus did not need to be forgiven himself but he did, because he did not sin, but he does extend grace or forgiveness to others. And we see this on the cross as he intercedes for those who put him there. And he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So take time to forgive others and then ask God to meet their needs. It's hard to not care about somebody whom God has led your heart to forgive. And so it's a great time to intercede for them, even in more ways, after you yourself have worked through your forgiveness. And then the final one is protection. Lead us not into temptation. We need God's help in our fight against sin and our basic needs. Our greatest need is protection from sin. But notice that Jesus isn't just talking about being strengthened when tempted. He's actually telling us to ask God to protect us from temptation at all. We're not always strong enough to withstand temptation. And so we ask God for help. God, would you help to lead us not even into that temptation? Protect us. Now, if you struggle to pray because you don't know what to pray, this is a great start. This is a helpful model or just pray the words that Jesus has given. But let's be honest with one another right now. And here we talk about the human reality of prayer. Prayer is not always easy. People will often feel ashamed because it is hard. And I, I'll even ask, and I'm assuming probably all of us will raise our hands, how many of us struggle to pray as often as we'd like to pray? Yeah, and how many of us sometimes get distracted when we pray? And how many of us struggle to believe that our prayers actually work? So let's be honest with one another. We don't always pray as often or as passionately or as confidently as we would like to. And I, I think that some of these realities that we experience plagued the disciples as well because they come to Jesus asking for help. They clearly want some help. Our passage opens with Jesus praying somewhere in verse 1, and one of the disciples comes to him and asks for help. And, and I can imagine the disciples are hanging around with, around with one another, sitting around the fire, maybe sharing a meal, maybe packing up to go on their next journey. Someone notices that Jesus is off praying, and another one responds, man, I, I wish I could pray like that. I wish I could learn how to pray like that. So one of them gets up the courage to ask, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, I don't exact, know exactly what kept the disciples from praying. I don't know what their fears were or what their barriers were. But if we're going to learn from Jesus, then we need to admit our need. We need to admit some of the challenges that we have and trust that Jesus has something to offer us in response. And so let me just suggest three reasons that I've heard people say about why they struggle to pray. Now, they may not all be true of you, but... Um, these hopefully will give you permission to acknowledge some of your own struggles. And so the first is just that we're unsure if it works. And we can be so incredibly suspicious of prayer because we just don't know if it works sometimes. But I think sometimes our paradigm is off in how we measure whether it works because so often it's about whether or not we get what we pray for, as though we can send our prayers to God 
like putting quarters into a vending machine, selecting B12 and then knowing exactly what God's going to dispense as a result. Nowhere in the Bible does it give us that picture of prayer, though. It's not a tool for divine manipulation. We come in humility, and we're not guaranteed to get what we ask for. Early in the COVID pandemic, this popular meme emerged, it made its rounds, and it said, shut up, I'm manifesting. And according to an article trying to explain what manifesting is, I think it can have some parallels to us praying as though we expect to get what we want. Manifesting is the practice of thinking aspirational thoughts with the purpose of making them real. And in fact, in 2006, there was a book published by Rhonda Byrne called The Secret. It was recently made into an Amazon Prime movie. And it's based on these ideas of positive thinking and manifesting. And in the, in the book, the hero of the story has learned this power of thinking things into reality. And he helps this single mother learn to do the same. And the book was laughed at by many critics as being ridiculous. But in reality, it sold 30 million copies. It was one of the best-selling self-help books out there. And it clearly touched on a real need for us, for humans. Here's the deal. We may want to dismiss this book or dis dismiss books like it. We may even want to condemn like TikTok videos about scripting our lives by writing down wishes over and over, causing a crush to finally text us back. This is a real TikTok video. But this is how we pray sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, as if we are manifesting our future and God is the mechanism by which we're doing it. One of the reasons prayer can feel like it doesn't work is because we don't always get what we pray for. You cannot always manifest cancer away. You cannot always manifest a repaired marriage. And if that is our measure of a successful prayer, then we will continue to struggle. Not that God doesn't want to meet our needs and give us what we need, but prayer requires the humility to admit that we don't always know what is needed and trusting that God does. So what if we started measuring the impact of prayer by a different standard? What if the goal was not the specific thing I was praying for, but that I would grow in my intimacy with the holy God, that my heart would be shaped by God's kingdom? that my heart would be warmed with affection for Christ and for others, ready to confess sin, ready to forgive sin. If you measure the outcome of prayer differently, you might come to find that it does work. Second, I think another challenge that we have sometimes is that we're unable to focus. And here's one, I'm with you on this one. If you struggle to focus while praying, I'm with you. For me, if I'm sitting in my chair and I'm praying in my head for more than about 60 seconds, my mind begins to drift to other things. I just cannot do that. So, and, and I think I, I'm not alone in that. I know I've heard others that struggle with it. And I think Jesus is actually sympathetic to this challenge, which is why the Lord's Prayer is such a helpful model because it gives us a roadmap for our prayers. When we start to wander in our mind, this gives us a destination to continue moving toward. If you struggle to focus, then learn what tools can help to extend your focus. Use a template like the Lord's Prayer. Use a journal to write out your prayers. Or get, it, get some privacy and just pray out loud. I've learned that if I want to have some extended time of prayer, I need to do one of two things. I need to write out my prayers in a journal, or I need to be alone and pray out loud. A lack of focus is not always a lack of caring. Sometimes we attribute it that way. I can't focus because I just don't care. It's not always the case. But if you know that you struggle to focus, then
then don't hide that struggle. Don't ignore that struggle and find some tools that will help you through it. Okay, third, here's another reason that we sometimes struggle to pray is that we are too busy. We may, we may feel like this is a real barrier, but let's also remember that Jesus was very busy. He had some significant work to complete in his ministry, and he was never too busy to pray. In fact, it was often in response to a busy season of ministry or in preparation for a significant decision that we see Jesus praying. He took time to pray because his work was too significant for him not to pray. The great reformer Martin Luther once wrote, I have so much to do that I shall spend the first three hours in prayer. Greater responsibility drives mature Christians to more time in prayer and not less because we know our need. Now, I don't want you to leave feeling ashamed and alone because prayer is hard for you. We all just raised our hands together, acknowledging that it's hard for us, right? It's hard for me too. It's hard for people I talk to. It seemed to be a struggle for the disciples. So you're not alone. There's no need to leave ashamed, but that also doesn't mean you need to stay that way. God wants for you to have an intimate prayer life with him. Which brings me to my fourth point, the humble child in prayer. This is the posture of our prayer. Humble and trusting, like a child before his loving father. After Jesus gives the disciples the Lord's prayer, he then goes on to tell them two different parables. The first is about a man who had an unexpected guest come, and he wanted to be a good host, but he didn't have food or things to give him, and so he goes to his neighbor, knocks on his door in the middle of the night, and asks if he can help give him what he needs. His neighbor was already in bed with his children, and Jesus explained that he's not going to get up just because he's a friend, but because of his impudence, the neighbor will give what is needed. It's probably helpful to define what impudence means, because that's a word I don't read very often. Impudence just means improper, a lack of respect, a lack of manners. And so when he comes in the middle of the night to ask for help, he's being impudent. Even though the neighbor is asleep, the host is in need of supplies, and so he is shameless in his request. How much more will God listen to us when we bring our needs and our requests to him? We are tempted to think that we need to make our pr prayer sound proper and eloquent to be heard, or that we need to get each word correct and each word in the right place. But we can come like this humble neighbor, without the supplies we need, knocking on the door of heaven in the middle of the night, improper, without pretense. The key aspect is just that we come. Before Jesus tells the second parable, he gives us this threefold language of asking, seeking, and knocking. Luke 11, 9 through 10, he says, And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who, or, and the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, it will be opened. Our work in all of this is just to keep coming, asking, seeking, knocking. We come in a posture of humility, making our requests known. And God is the one who's doing the work in all of this. We ask, seek, and knock, but he's the one who gives. He's the one who finds. He's the one who opens the door. We are not meant to see this as some secret code that unlocks the divine vending machine. The point is not here to get what we want, but just to come with our needs, asking, seeking, knocking, trusting that God will provide, which is the point then of the final parable. What father, Jesus asks, if asked for a fish, would give their son a serpent? And what father, if asked for an egg, would give their child a scorpion? 
And Jesus summarizes, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts, how much more is your Father in heaven ready to give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? The final statement of Jesus here shows that God is already providing the greatest gift that we could need. More than bread, more than eggs, more than any material thing, God has, is ready to give us his spirit through Jesus because that is what we need the most. And here's the paradigm then we get for prayer from these parables. We come like a humble child asking for what we need. We don't need to perform we don't need to pretend. We don't need to be perfect. We simply come, making our requests known, asking, seeking, knocking. And God, who is a better father and a better neighbor, will give us what we need. A couple of summers ago, Megan and I were out of town, and Luke and Maggie came and stayed with our kids to allow us a chance to get away. And when I got back, Luke was telling me about this one night, in the middle of the night, he heard Jude yelling from the room next door. And he was yelling, Dad! 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 And Luke eventually woke up and realized, oh, that's, that's me right now. I need to go help him. So Luke found his way in the dark to our son's room, and Luke asked Jude what he needed. And Jude said, well, I need my blanket. And there was his blanket three feet away from on the floor. And so Luke was wondering later, like, it's like right there. Why, why do you need me to help with this? I don't understand. See, Jude had, got, Jude had gotten accustomed to being able to ask dad for help in the middle of night with whatever he needed. If he called, I would go into his room, usually half asleep, often not remembering what had happened the next day, and help him with whatever he needed. He had learned to trust me with the little things in the middle of the night. Our prayers are meant to be like that. We have the privilege of calling out to God whenever we need with humility and dependence. And if we get used to trusting God with the little things, then we'll learn to trust him with the big things too. As my kids have gotten older, they cry out for me less and less in the middle of the night. They don't need me to pick up blankets for them anymore, thank goodness, right? But built into them is the knowledge that, Dod that dad will help them in the middle of the night. And just recently, one of my older kids came down to my room woke me up and shared with me that they were having a bad dream and asked me to pray for them. So half awake, I prayed that God would protect their minds from any bad thoughts or any bad dreams and that God would give them a restful night of sleep. And I'm an imperfect father. Sometimes I get annoyed in the middle of the night when they wake me up. Usually I'm half asleep. Often I don't remember it the next morning. But God is a perfect father fully capable of welcoming us into his presence any time of day, no matter how big, no matter how small, without the need for pretending or pretense. He sent his son to die so that we could be brought near, and he gives us his spirit. If God has delivered us such good in the midst of our greatest trial and need, how much more in the rest of life? It is the child who can come to the king at 3 a.m. and glass, ask for a glass of water. And so we pray with confidence because God the Father delights to meet the needs of his children. Thank you for listening to this sermon from River City Church. If you found this resource helpful, we encourage you to share it with your friends and family. We exist to see weary lives renewed through relationship with Jesus in the Twin Cities and beyond.